We actually had a little bit of a, a change this morning because uh, Pastor Glenn was scheduled to preach this morning. He was going to continue our Judges series looking at Deborah and Barak. And then about 24 hours ago, I got a call from Pastor Glenn and it went something like this. He said, hi, Eric, can you hear me? And I thought to myself, okay, he's either picked up smoking or, you know, maybe less likely um, that he's picked up smoking. Uh, he's like, I, I, I have laryngitis. And so he was out for the count and he said, no big deal. It's just a few thousand people. Just go ahead and preach your heart out. And so over the last 24 hours, uh, I have experienced all kinds of emotions, beginning with terror and fear and anxiety. And then um, as I began to study the life of Gideon deeper, um, it became crystal clear to me that God has has a unique message for all of us, that God wants to speak to us today. In fact, I think the thing that God wants to make crystal clear to all of us today is that there is a way to find courage, to experience courage, and to keep courage. In fact, courage is a really, really big deal. C.S. Lewis has a quote. He, he talks about courage this way. He says, He'll say it here. Courage is one of the least talked about Christian values, but it is essential to all the others. And as we begin to think about courage, I, I, was, I was processing in my own mind and heart, and I recognize that for all of us, we have something facing us tomorrow. That maybe it's a conflict, maybe it's a marital issue that you're experiencing, maybe there's some tension with some roommates, there's a big decision at work to be made. That there's something in you and I's life tomorrow that is waiting for us to respond to. And the reason I think more often than not that we don't face what is coming to us tomorrow and the main reason we put it off, neglect it, pretend it's not there is because we lack courage. And I want you to begin to think now, I'm not sure what is in your tomorrow. Maybe you know exactly what it is. And in fact, as I even begin to talk right now, you're going, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. I was hoping it would go away. And yet we're beginning to talk about it at church. Not sure what your tomorrow is, but maybe you know exactly what it is. Or maybe, maybe you have no idea what tomorrow is for you. Maybe that's part of the fear and the terror and the anxiety and the worry for you is that you don't know what's tomorrow, what tomorrow is going to bring to you, and that absolutely terrifies you. You know, I think that if I could illustrate this, that all of us, all of us stand behind this line waiting, waiting for tomorrow, and maybe the thing that's keeping you from crossing that line and dealing with sorting out processing through facing whatever comes your way tomorrow is a lack of courage and maybe before you've gotten close to that but because of some fear some anxiety or some worry you're just right here and the problem is what God wants you to face tomorrow is incredibly important for what he wants to do in your life to come and as long as you and I stay behind the line and play it safe, we'll never fully experience all that God has for us. But courage is an interesting thing. How do you find it? How do you really experience it? And then how do you keep it? That is exactly what we are going to find as we look at the life of Gideon. A little bit of a backstory before we jump into Judges chapter 6. Uh, Deborah is the prophet over Israel for about 40 years. And there's peace and things are going well. And all of a sudden, Deborah dies 
And all of a sudden, everything goes back to being the way it has been for Israel. In fact, Israel has this history. Israel, being the people of God, have this history of being enamored with their leaders instead of being enamored with their Lord. And so they get really fixated on their leaders. But as soon as their leaders leave, their faith, their relationship with their Lord dwindles And they find themselves back in the same situation that they have always been in before. And so find me in Judges chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Let's see what God has in store for the people of God, for Gideon and for us. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So things begin to go really poorly for the people of God. The Midianites are horrible. In fact, listen to what they do. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents swarmed of locusts. It was swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them. I mean, Israel is living in terror and fear right now because the Midianites are absolutely taking over. I don't know if you've grown something recently, but it takes a long time to grow any kind of fruit or food or vegetation. And and the people of God in this agrarian culture, they depend on that. I mean, the only ways that they're going to be able to feed themselves and feed their children is if they can grow crops and harvest them. But for the people of God at this time in history... Their very life is on the line. Don't miss the drama and the tension in this story. Parents are staying up all night thinking, how are they going to feed their children? Futures and dreams have all but died because they're uncertain of what tomorrow will bring. And the Midianites are ruthless. The Midianites so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. What are you doing, God? Like, we don't need a prophet. We need a warrior. We need a king. We need somebody who's going to defeat the Midianites. What are you doing? They're crying out, and he sends them a prophet. And then this prophet has this specific message for them. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. See, there's, there's three kinds of suffering that you and I experience. The first kind of suffering is brought on by our own sin. That's where Israel finds itself. I mean, because of their rebellion from God, they're experiencing suffering. But there's two other kinds of suffering. There's, there's suffering that's brought on by other people's sin spilling over into your life. And then there's a third kind of suffering that's brought on by original sin. This has to do with disease and sickness and natural disasters and and just the realities of living in a broken, fallen world, not as God intended it to be, but with the curse of sin upon it. 
And I don't know exactly what kind of suffering you're experiencing, but if you are in that first category, as Israel was in that first category, that their suffering was brought on by their own sin, I just want to ask you a question. I want to ask you to be really honest with yourself for a minute. Is there a chance that God is wanting to use your suffering right now to get your attention? That maybe the suffering that you are experiencing, the distance from God, the distance from others, the pain that you are experiencing, if it's been brought on by others or just because of original sin, that's one thing. But if it is because of our own sin, then I believe God is trying to get the attention of his people. He's trying to get the attention of the Israelites and he's trying to get the attention of you and of me. And so God sends a prophet. He sends a messenger. But here's the good news. That no matter what kind of suffering you're in, no matter what kind of deal you need to settle tomorrow, no matter what faces you, God wants to give you the courage that only he can give you. God wants to supply you with what you need to do and to live and to believe like he has called you to do, live, and believe. That God is not done with you yet, that God still is writing your story, and he does not desire for you to wait behind the line, and in fact, waste so much energy like we do, ignoring it, pretending it's not there. Maybe for some of you, it's walking around the house, and you just don't talk with that person that you live with. Maybe it's that conflict at work that just everyone knows is an issue, but you're too afraid to resolve it. Well, God wants to give you the courage to walk over that line and to face what comes tomorrow because he has something for you. Well, after this speech in verse 11, we meet our main character. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abbey's right, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. This is an incredibly important verse to make it crystal clear the dire situation that the Israelites find themselves in. You see, if you're going to thresh wheat, the way you do that is you do it out in the open where there's a nice breeze so that as you throw the wheat in the air, the chaff will fall away and the wheat will fall to the ground. I mean, that's why you do that is because you don't want to overextend yourself. You don't want to waste energy and time. And so you do it out in the open. But Gideon, Gideon is no hero at this point in the story. In fact, Gideon is afraid. He's terrified. He's worried. So much so, we know that because wine presses were underground. And so Gideon is literally underground where there is no breeze throwing the wheat in the air. He has to throw it extra high in the air so that the windfall will separate the chaff from the wheat. You see, Gideon, our buddy Gideon, he is terrified. He is worried. He is afraid. He is frustrated. He is angry. He is jaded at this point. In fact, things are really, really bad for him. But God is not done with Gideon yet. God desires for Gideon to face tomorrow. And so what God is going to do is he is going to teach Gideon where courage comes from, how to continue to experience it, and how to keep it forever. And the first big idea that God wants to speak and say to us, I believe, is this, that God calls you as he sees you. That as it pertains to building and installing and downloading courage into your life, it begins with God calling you as he sees you. Check out what happens in verse 12. In light of verse 11, he's in the pit. He's throwing up the wheat. It's underground. He's not where he should be. He's bitter, afraid, terrified. 
tomorrow is unknown for him. And in that context, listen to what God says to him. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Are you serious? God's calling Gideon a mighty warrior? Did you see where I am? Do you see what's going on? Are you blind, Lord? Mighty warrior? You see, in this moment, we learn something very, very important about God. That God will always call us how he sees us. That in fact, God looks at you and I's life and he doesn't look at our past, our track record. He doesn't look at our brokenness and our failures and then decide what to call us. He looks at what he has done in us, what he has done for us, and what he will do through us. And that is the name that he chooses to give his people. That God looks at every single one of you and he doesn't just see what you are right now. In fact, he will meet you where you are right now and he will love you where you are right now, but he doesn't end it there. He calls you who you will become. And this is radically different, right? I mean, how how many relationships are we a part of where that person continues to bring up that failure, that mistake, that struggle? And maybe one of the reasons you haven't faced tomorrow is because you got all these people that are lined up in front of you saying you can't do it. Saying there's no hope for you. Saying ah, it's not going to work. Remember what happened last time? And maybe you, you almost get to the place of facing tomorrow. That thing that God, that burden that God has put on your heart. And yet that fear from the messages outside and the messages within keeps you behind the line. Well, when God speaks to Gideon, he says, you are a mighty warrior. See, this has been God's MO. This has been his approach since the beginning. I mean, remember when he looked at Moses? He said, Moses, you'll be my mouthpiece. I'm going to use you to free the people of Israel. And God, Moses is going, do you know my track record? He looks at Abram and he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he's going, do you understand that I'm old and that I'm sterile? And this is not going to happen. And yet God, because he's not limited by time, he doesn't just see where you're at right now, he sees who you will become. And oftentimes the difference between you facing tomorrow and becoming who God wants you to become is whether you're going to let his voice be the one that names you or you're just going to keep listening to what they say about you. And this is what God has been doing from the beginning I, I think of um, my, my son, Levi. So I just had our fourth child. You can pray for us. We just had our fourth child. I'm going to show you a picture. This is Levi Brave. That's what we chose to name him. Um, obviously, he's an incredibly cute kid. Thank the Lord he got his mother's genes. So that worked out for us. Um, there's Levi. And one of the reasons we named him Levi Brave is because the Levites are the people that God called out to serve him. And Brave is, is a synonym for having courage that doesn't just come from mustering it up on your own. But it comes from being instilled by the God of the universe who gives you courage and bravery to face tomorrow. Paul Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 4 verse 17. Notice the second part. He says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Talking about Abraham. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Many of you are going, but my track record has cut me out from ever being used by God. It'd be impossible 
for that marriage to ever be restored. My kids hate me. My parents rejected me. I just got fired. There's a party that's going, there's just no hope for me. And yet, God wants to say, I need you to remember who I am. That I am the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. You see, if you're in this room and you are in a relationship with Jesus, you need to claim and own what I'm about to talk about. And if you're in this room and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, we are so glad that you're here. And maybe one of the reasons that you need to hand your life over to Jesus is that he will give you a name that you could never earn. He will call you things that you would never call yourself. He will give you courage to face what you could not face on your own. In Ephesians chapter one and two, which is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote, 27 times he tells the people, this is who you are. It's not what you think you are. It's not what you've earned. It's not even how you feel. This is who you are. Friends, when God looks at you and you are in a relationship with Jesus, this is what he sees. This is what he calls you. He calls you faithful, blessed, chosen. Maybe some of you, your entire world right now says that you are absolutely not chosen and that's exactly how Gideon feels. And yet in this moment, what Gideon feels is very different than what God says. And what God says is that followers of Jesus are faithful, blessed, chosen, holy, blameless, adopted, redeemed, and forgiven. But because you and I live in a broken, fallen world, there are going to be messages that come at us all the time that try to get us from following what God has called us to do and facing tomorrow. And so we need to be reminding ourselves of this every single day, hour by hour, minute by minute, because the messages come from all around that say you are not that. I got an experience with this. Um, just a, a few weeks ago, uh, we, we were tucking the kids in for bed, and, and I decided to tell them a story. And uh, my wife loves to read to the kids, and I know that's really, really important, reading to the kids. Um, I like telling them stories. Like, I just like to make up stories. That's what I do. And so I make up these stories, and I try to leave little hooks at the end and, and make it kind of fun. And so, we, uh, so we, we told this story, or I was sharing this story with them about um, Charlie, Brinley, Levi, and Lila all boarding a spaceship, and, and they're on their way to the moon. And, and right as they're about to leave, all of a sudden these four evil Komodo dragons like board the spaceship, right? And Charlie, my son, he loves Komodo dragons. So I'm like, all right, we're gonna incorporate them. So these evil Komodo dragons board the spaceship and Charlie, Brinley, Lila, and Levi all have to defeat the evil Komodo dragons before they get to the moon, okay? So we're telling this story and as we're, uh, as the first night, it's like, Charlie, it's you against the evil Komodo dragon. And there's a competition and this competition is a corn dog eating competition, okay? And so kind of paint this story and, and, and then at the end we say, okay, you defeat, Charlie, you defeated the Komodo dragon dragon and, and tomorrow night we're going to talk about Brinley defeating the Komodo dragon. What will their competition be? Wait till tomorrow, right? Like, like leave them with this little hook. Well, all week we were talking about Komodo dragons and, and Charlie, I mean, he's this amazing kid, but sometimes he can just be you know, a little, little extra. And so he was, uh, he, he came into bed with us. He came into bed with us one morning. All the kids came into bed with us and Lila was closest to me and I was cuddling her and Charlie was next to her and, and Charlie looks at Lila and he goes, you're a Komodo dragon. You're a Komodo dragon, right? He starts saying, you're a Komodo dragon. And poor Lila, she believes anything, right? She believes everything is true that you tell her. And so um, she, she goes, 
I'm not Komodo dragon. I'm not a Komodo. I mean, can you imagine the tariff right now? You believed you were actually a Komodo dragon, right? I mean, that's, that's a lot of tariff for a kid. She goes, I- I'm not a Komodo dragon. And then she looks to me. She looks up to me and she goes, Daddy, am I a Komodo dragon? And I'm like, no, 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 you're not a Komodo dragon. You are a beautiful little girl. You are a beautiful little girl. That's who you are, Lila. And she goes, okay, okay, beautiful little girl. And then, and then Charlie, that little brat, he goes, you're a Komodo dragon. You're a Komodo dragon, right? He's just saying this to her. And she goes, Daddy, am I a Komodo dragon? I'm like, no, you're not a Komodo dragon. You're a beautiful little girl. And we do this a few times. And I got this image, this reminder that, you guys, we have people all around us and Satan himself that are whispering to us, you're a Komodo dragon. You're a Komodo dragon. That's who you are. And God wants to say, you are not a Komodo dragon. You are a son or daughter made in the image of God. That you have the courage within you by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you don't feel like you could do. To deal with what you don't feel like you could deal with. To be a part of restoring that which is broken. Because you are not what everyone else says about you, but you are what God says about you. And when you truly believe that you are who God says you are, that changes the trajectory of your life. Well, the next big idea that after we understand that we are who God says we are, that, that God calls you as he sees you, the next thing is God calls you to walk in faith, not in fear. Check out what happens in verse 13. Pardon me, Lord. This is Gideon's response after the Lord calls him a mighty warrior, the Lord is, he says, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You see, he's jaded. He's frustrated. He's hurt. I mean, it's, it's clear why they're in this situation because of their sin and rebellion. But what I love is scripture gives you and I the permission to be frustrated at God. Scripture gives us the permission to ask God questions. In fact, five times in this one chapter, Gideon is gonna respond to the Lord Almighty with, eh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, really, God? I mean, he's talking to God Almighty, and yet he has the courage and the audacity to speak to God that way. And what's incredible is that watch how God chooses to respond to him. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? See, God has this amazing way of absorbing and shouldering our frustrations, our fears, our anxieties, our worries. He takes it on himself and he says, okay, I got that. Remember who I have called you to be, who I say that you are, and then I want you to move forward. And there's an interesting thing here in the Hebrew language, which is what the Old Testament was written in. That that when God says, go in the strength you have, it's a way of saying, go in the direction that you are emotionally stirred and passionate about right now. In, In a sense, God is saying, listen to that injustice in your heart. Listen to that frustration. Listen to that longing to see that which is broken be restored and move in that direction. It's God's way of saying, it's, it's a start. It's not all you'll need. But to ask yourself this question, what stirs you emotionally? You know what my prayer is for all of you? Is that if you're in a really 
challenging marriage right now, that instead of becoming apathetic and numb to it, that God begins to stir in you an emotional desire to see that marriage restored. That if, if there's some tension between you and your kids or grandkids or you and your parents, that God would stir in you that desire, that you would have a little bit in you to take that next step. Maybe for some of you, the reason you work with kids or teenagers or you serve in life groups is because you're seeing the pain and the loneliness of people around you and going, there's something in me that says it should be better than this. God desires it to be better than this and he wants to use me and so that's why I'm serving. In the last two weeks, I've been with two different students who have been on the verge of committing suicide. See, the reason I wake up in the morning and serve with our high school students every single week is because I've got this emotional stir in me that says teenagers are in danger right now. That they're hurting, that they're struggling. And that it's our job as a church, not just as a pastor or a team, but it's our job as a church to wrap our arms around teenagers and say, I know the world is crazy out there, but we love you. And you are who God says you are and you belong here. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's an injustice around the world. You see human trafficking, you see poverty. You see some kind of issue and there's a, an emotional stir in you that says this is not right. I think God wants to say to you that if you know and you believe who you are in him, that he sees you as he calls you, that you can begin to walk in faith, not in fear, but you can begin to walk in faith and trust him. And what's crazy about this is what we see is that God is saying, look, I am prioritizing willingness over giftedness. God will always prioritize willingness over giftedness. Isn't this great news? Because none of us have it all together. All of us have fears and weaknesses. All of us could come up with a long list of why we should not do the thing that God has called us to do. And yet our God from the very beginning has looked at willing people and gifted people and said, I will take willing." and I will make them gifted. That I will call people, and I will make them equipped. In fact, in 2 Chronicles, it said this way, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It doesn't say that he's, 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 he's on a mission to encourage those who have a big following, those who are uber-talented, those who do a really great job of covering up their past and their sins and their struggles. No, the scripture says that God is on a mission trying to find people whose hearts are fully committed. This means that God desires that you have a passion and a heart for him over and above all other things. And what's crazy is that when your heart is fully committed to him, no matter what you lack in him, you will have enough. I remember in, in high school, in fact, I don't remember a lot about my high school years, but um, I'll never forget I was in this class called Conceptual Physics, um, which is a really fancy, nice name for kids who struggle with math. Okay, that's all it is, right? And so I'm in this Conceptual Physics class, and, and I remember it was a day we had a substitute, and the substitute said, well, we don't have a lesson plan. Go ahead and just work on your projects, and we could sit wherever we wanted in this class. And so I sat down in this chair, and I began to work on my stuff, and then this girl sat next to me, and her name was Heidi. And at this time, I'd only been a Christian for a few years, but I was the president of our Bible club, right? Which just meant nobody else wanted responsibility. And I was like, all right, I'll take it. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm part of this Bible club and I'm the president. And, 
And then Heidi sits next to me, and Heidi was the president of our witchcraft club at our school. I didn't go to a Christian school. So um, Heidi's sitting next to me, and I remember this clear as day. She looks at me, and she goes, Eric, why do you even believe in God? And I literally was terrified at this moment, right? Because I all of a sudden have to articulate to a, a woman who I really know nothing of like what she believes or how this whole thing works or what she's going to say. And all of a sudden I feel like I'm put on the spot. And what's crazy is that as I fumbled through an answer, I don't even remember everything that I said, but I sensed in that moment God was with me. I sensed in that moment I wasn't alone. I sensed in that moment that God was working not because I was gifted, but because I was willing. See, I wonder if, if we get to that place where we believe that what God says about us is true, that maybe that first step over the line is not about having all the giftedness in the world or all the in intellect in the world or whatever, but maybe that first step is just willingness. Saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm open. I'm open to you doing what you want to do. I'm open to making that phone call. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm willing to make that phone call. I'll sign up for that thing. I have no idea how to hang out with third and fourth graders, but I'll, I'll, I'm willing. It's been years since my spouse and I have even said anything meaningful to each other, but I'm willing to ask a question. See, God's desire is that you and I would walk in faith, not in fear. Check out what happens next in the story. Verse 15. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied again. He goes, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And then the Lord answered him, I will be with you. He gives a great reason for why he is under-resourced, and God gives his universal answer to your fears with, I will be with you. That's what God says over and over again is, I will be with you. You are not alone. I remember a, a few months ago, I uh, was at home and, and Sarah was on a trip. It was before Levi was born. Sarah was on a trip and I had the kids all to myself for three days. Um, that was a nightmare. And I was there and I was trying to like take care of these kids and it was, it was really challenging for me. And, and honestly, for you parents who spend a lot of time with your kids by yourself, I, I feel for you because there was, there was a season, there was a, a time in that where it just felt lonely. I mean, not talking to other adults. I mean, you can only say so many times, Brinley, stop rubbing the pancake on your body. You know what I mean? Like you, can only, you can only get through that script a few times before you just go, what is, going, what is my life right now? And I remember just going, God, I, I just kind of began to feel a little alone. And there was this conflict that I was trying to deal with. And I felt like people weren't necessarily seeing it the way I was seeing it. And I began to feel alone again. And then I had to deal with this issue. And I remember driving, just feeling alone. Maybe you've been there. And this is not just a feeling teenagers have. This is something we all have. Those moments where we feel alone. And as I was driving, I felt like God said to me, even when you feel alone, you're never alone. That even when you feel alone, you're never alone because I am always with you. That's exactly where Gideon finds himself. And so one last time, in fact, this is the third of five times, he says, okay, God, I'm hearing you, but I'm not sure about this. And he, he creates this altar and he says, okay, God, if you're real, if you're in this, if you're gonna use me, 
Would you show up right now at this moment? And God shows up in a miraculous and an absolutely incredible way. And then in verse 25, God does something interesting. That same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. See, God says, look, Gideon, before you face tomorrow, and before I use you to rescue Israel, we've got a clean house. We've got to deal with the sin that's within. And maybe, maybe you're in this room and you go, I want to really be used by God. I mean, I want my life to matter. And God is saying, yes, I want your life to matter too, but I am more concerned with what's going on inward than I am with what you will produce outward. And before God is going to use you in a mighty, magnificent way, he is going to want to deal with your heart because your heart is always his priority. He's not looking to just use people. He's looking to transform people. And as he transforms us, then he begins to use us. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down off for the second bowl. So Gideon took his ten servants and did, not, did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. And in fact, he did it so well that it required a careful investigation, as the story says. A careful investigation to figure out who tore down these altars. And when they find out it was Gideon, they go after his dad, Joash, and they say, bring us your son. He needs to die. But here's what's incredible. Remember how Joash was the one, the father of Gideon, was the one who set up these idols? Well, through Gideon's a little bit timid obedience, through his, his baby step of willingness to follow God, you know what happened? Joash's heart began to change. Joash's heart began to soften to the Lord. And here's what's crazy. There's a multiplication factor to you taking baby steps of faith. Your family, your friends, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, they will begin to see that. Your friends at school, they will begin to see those baby steps of faith and God will work through that. God will use that in just the way that he desires to do. And lastly, lastly, our last big point, God calls you to believe Jesus is your ultimate fleece. God calls you to believe Jesus is your ultimate fleece. What happens in the rest of the story is war begins to break out. And again, Gideon questions. He says, okay, Lord, if, if you're in this, would you cause this fleece to be wet and everything dry around it? Let's blanket and, and God does that. Then he says, oh, okay, okay, one more time, God, one more time. Would you cause the fleece to be wet or dry and everything else around it wet? And God shows up again. And maybe you've been in that place where you've, you've said, God, I need you to show me. I need you to make it crystal clear that you can be trusted. I need you to prove to me that you have power. And I think what God wants us to know from this story as we jump into the New Testament, as we jump into what happened in Christ, is that Jesus is our ultimate fleece. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 7, it's said this way. Hebrews chapter 
7 says, therefore, he is able to save completely. Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that because of the resurrection, because Jesus was our sacrifice, because he died for our sins, because he actually rose from the dead, he has the power to save us completely, that his love is perfect. And this is what it means that his love is perfect. It means that he has an intensity about his love for you, which is God's way of saying, I can't imagine not loving you. He has a constancy about his love for you, which means he's saying, I can't stop loving you. He has a sufficiency about his love for you, which means he says, I couldn't love you anymore. And then lastly, he has a sovereignty about his love for you and that he says, I can't help but love you in all things. See, here's the miracle. Here's the miracle. Is that the king of kings, by his life and his sacrifice and his resurrection, the king of kings stared death in the face and said, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? See, all the courage that you need cannot be earned. It can only be given. It cannot be bought. It can only be installed. All the courage you need is in a relationship with Christ where you see yourself the way he sees you, where you take steps of faith instead of steps of fear. And when you get to that moment where you're going, God, prove that you're in it. Prove that I can trust you. He says, remember what I did for you. So friends, I don't know what your tomorrow holds. Maybe you don't even know what your tomorrow holds. But that courage is available to you in Christ. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are in this place. I thank you that you give your people courage. I thank you, God, that we can find courage in you, that we can experience courage daily, and that we can keep courage as we remember what you have done on our behalf in your death and resurrection. So may we be courageous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.